work is finished as he cried on the cross. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for the blood that was shed, that we might have eternal life. As we stand here as one body before you, we stand here needing you desperately, your grace and your mercy, your presence and your power in our lives. Father, I do ask you to be with us this morning. I pray for your strength as I try to teach this and preach this message. For without you, I can do nothing, Lord. I surrender to you. Father, we have many that are sick. I pray that you would be with them and that you would heal them and they would be back with us. Lord, please do something incredible in and through Shawnee Hills Baptist Church for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Everyone follows someone or something. Someone or something is causing you to act the way you act. Someone or something is causing us to do what we do and to pursue what we are pursuing. Everyone follows someone or something. I find it amazing that Jesus, uh, I, I, I've, I, I'm just taken back by Jesus. The more I study about Jesus, the more questions I have, the more lovely he is. And it's amazing to me that Jesus begins walking along the Sea of Galilee. And there he encounters some who would soon be his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 through 25, you know the discourse, but he says this, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now they dropped their nets, what they had been doing all their lives, and followed him. We come to this passage before He's already starting to announce to his disciples his plan of dying on the cross. And he tells his disciples here in Matthew chapter 16, follow me. We all know what happens after Jesus goes to the cross and all the disciples are scared and they all flee and they all run and hide. And we know that Peter denies Christ. But we know later that Jesus comes to Peter on the banks, the same shores of Galilee, 
because he had returned fishing. And he restores Peter back to fellowship with himself. He even tells Peter that Peter's going to die. And the last thing he says to Peter is, Peter, follow me. A careful understanding of this, Jesus at the beginning tells the disciples, follow me. In the middle, he tells them to follow me. And at the end, he tells them to follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? See, that's one of the greatest questions that you and I will ever answer. A little background about what's going on in our text. Jesus is walking along with the disciples and he asked them, who, who, do, who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah, some say that uh, you're this, that, and the other. And Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, you're right, Peter. And upon this rock, that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The disciples are excited. He's going to build his church. We're going to be a part of the kingdom. And finally, finally, we will have nationally what we've always wanted. We will have the king. We will have the kingdom. He's going to do it right now. They don't understand. And Jesus says, i got to go to Jerusalem and die. And I'm going to raise again, rise again on the third day. And Peter, in his audacity, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus and says, It will never happen to you. And Jesus looks point blank at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're an offense to me. And he says this. This is so important that we understand this. This sets the backdrop for everything. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now there are two things that we always have to deal with in our lives. The things of God, the things of men. There's no gray area. The things of God, the things of men. And just like the disciples, I come and ask myself and ask us, what is our goal? Is our goal to build a great church? Peter was excited about that. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm all right with that. But Peter was not all right with Jesus going to the cross. Why? Because even in the spiritual things, he was mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. And this is central to all of Christianity. It's central to your growth. It's central to your worship. It's central to your uh, service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your goal, my goal, our goal is not to build a great church. It's not to build, fill up buildings. It's not to have activities for everything. Our goal is to be just like Jesus. To be just like Jesus. And this is really what following Jesus is all about. It's all about 
following him, becoming like Jesus. When I was growing up, I grew up in a church. I loved the church I grew up in. It wasn't perfect, but it was a good church. I was saved there. I was called to preach there. I was baptized there. I was married there. My mother was buried there. That church was huge in my life. As a young man, I probably did not appreciate it like I appreciate it now. And I'm thinking back about that and how we grew up and how that we followed a certain group of preachers. And we would have this camp over here. Well, we're part of this camp and, and we're part of this camp over here. I remember when there was a specific preacher who was pastor of the largest church at one time and he would preach across the country. He preached at our church at Abundant Life when I was a kid. And he started having a problem with his throat. When he preached, he would, <clears throat> he'd have to do that all the time when he preached. And every young preacher emulated him. I can remember everybody else started <clears throat> when they were preaching. That's a true story. You see, we mind the things of men, and we put men on pedestals, and we say, I follow him, I follow this guy, or I'm of this camp, and, and he's who's I following. Listen, all that is gobbledygook. All that doesn't matter. That's minding the things of men. Let me ask you a question. Are you following Christ? Do you look like Christ? Do you resemble Christ? Are you and I acting like Christ? That is the issue. That's the central issue. I could take you to Tennessee Temple and to Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee back in the 70s and 80s. It was the most thriving church. Lee Robertson, Dr. Lee Robertson was a prince of preachers. You could go to Chattanooga right now, neither exist. Gone. Gone. This church at one time was boarded up. There was no church. I, I think, I'm, I'm not sure, about a year, is that correct, Stephanie? A little over a year. It can happen. But guys, listen. You cannot stop men and women who are sold out for Jesus Christ, who are minding the things of God, who are being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what buildings, what, you can't stop that. You can't stop it. And we're just many times like, uh, we're just like the, the disciples. And sometimes I'm critical of the disciples. I think, what were they thinking? But perhaps we would do the same thing. We've got the completed canon of Scripture. They didn't have that. And so if this is the all-important goal, and this is what um, hopefully for the remainder of, of, of life in ministry that God allows me to be in, I want to set my efforts on minding the things of God, myself becoming more like Jesus, Having the fruit of the Spirit. I, I, this is what the entirety of the ministry should be about. Why do we have a wanna? So we can teach kids to be just like Jesus. And of course, the, the, they have to come to faith in Christ. 
And the longer we're on this earth, we become more concerned with minding the things of men, trying schemes, trying programs, and trying all these things to reach people rather than just simply telling the gospel. You know what would change Portsmouth more than anything in the surrounding areas? If everyone in this congregation would start telling someone else about Jesus Christ. But it's easy for us to invite them to come to a a program, or it's easier for us to invite them to come out to something than it is for us to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, there's some things that has to happen. If you want to follow Christ, there are some things that must happen in your life. Now notice, first of all, in verse 24, he says, If. It is a conditional phrase. That means not everyone will. You understand what a conditional clause is. If I do this, if, then this is the outcome. And so not everyone will. But he says anyone, which means it's available to all. And notice what he says, desires. If anyone desires. See, this is what has eluded me early on in my life in ministry. Desire. All too often I did things because it was the spiritual thing to do. It was because someone else did it. And everyone in this church, whether you want to realize it or not, every one of us has baggage from the first ministry we were saved under. It might be tucked way down in there, but we all have baggage and we don't even realize it. And we carry it with us. And that is the filter through which we look at everything spiritually through what we were taught at first. That's the truth. It is the truth. There are many times in my life when I have that legalistic, judgmental attitude rising up inside of me. I don't know where it comes from. And I'm thinking, after I say something or think something, I think, what in the world are you thinking? Where'd that come from? I thought we dealt with that. And we didn't. But how much, how much do we do for the Lord That is a great desire that we do it. How much that we do for the Lord is a great desire. And how much do we do it because no one else will do it or because what someone will think of us if we don't do it? What's your desire? We all have desires, right? We all have desires. We all have things that we would like to do. How much of our desires in our life center around following Jesus Christ? Don't we just love to say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Isn't that an excuse sometimes? It is. Of course we are. But we like to throw that card out, don't we? That's our trump card. You know, I'm just a sinner. When's the last time you really desired to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ?
When's the last time you really desired to have joy in your heart? Peace in your heart. When's the last time you desired to do things like Jesus Christ did things? You see, the things of men are demanding more and more and more and more of our time. I stand before you and I tell you, I wished, and I know what they say about wishing, it's, it's just a wish, but I would, maybe I should say, that we didn't get so hooked on technology and our phones because it's hurt us. I'm talking about a genuine want to. I'm talking about a genuine want to. I want to do this. You see, the desire comes from the love of our Savior. It's interesting. You say, well, how do I love Jesus? Well, according to the Scripture, you need to focus on how much He loves you. We love Him because what? He first loved us. You'll never follow Jesus if you don't love him. And until you and I can come to realize our desperate need for him, we won't love him like we should. How many of you remember the song, I can't even walk without you holding my hand? Some of those old saints had it. They knew it. You know what they knew? They knew that in and apart from Christ, they could do nothing. Nothing. And until we come to the place in our life where we realize without Him I can do nothing. Now listen to me. I would say there's a great desire when we need Him, right? Oh, we love Jesus when something's gone wrong and we need immediate help. And that's okay because He's called us to call on Him. But could you imagine what our lives would be if we had the same intensity when things were good? So do you desire to go after him? It's clear in the language Jesus is saying, if anyone desires to come after me. See, you can't follow him until you desire to come after him. Does that make sense? Then he says this. Let him deny himself. Are you minding the things of God or are you minding the things of man? Deny means to disown. I love that. What is he saying? He is saying, I am disowning my own desires, especially those desires of the flesh, and I'm taking on his desires. I don't know who said this. It's not original with me, but it's important. I wrote it down. Jesus will not co-reign with you. Jesus will not co-reign with you in your life. And this is something that we need to realize. All throughout the scripture, there is either or. Flesh, spirit. Things of God, things of men. There's never 
any middle ground. As a matter of fact, the only thing that we can ever even think of as middle ground is in Revelation when he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, so I'll spew you out of my mouth. Middle of the road makes him sick. Either do one or the other. Be his disciple, follow him, or don't. But don't pretend you are running, riding, straddling the fence. This is a voluntarily laying down of self-will. Well, I don't like it, but I'm going to. Are you kidding me? Get over yourself. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, and you're going to act like that? That's minding the things of men. And if you have that attitude, you should be rebuked. Just as Peter was rebuked. It's the same attitude. We rarely deny ourselves anything. Does anyone in here know anything about sacrifice? There's a, a, a kook on a television show, and I don't care to say it. The guy's married to like three or four women. And I just saw the commercial. And I mean, the, anyways. Um, and he says in that commercial, you don't know what I've sacrificed to love you. I saw that in the commercial, and I laughed out loud. I thought, that guy is as ignorant as they come. You sacrifice. You got four wives, and you think you sacrificed something? You just was dropped on your head as a kid. I don't know. But people have that attitude. I have sacrificed so much. You know, Job... What I find remarkable about Job, all that stuff happened to Job. They came and told him, and the Bible says he fell down and worshiped the Lord. His own wife said, Job, won't you go ahead and curse God and die? He said, no, man, should we not take the bad with the good? Naked came I into this, and naked will I return. We know nothing about denying ourselves. Society promotes individualism. Society promotes do what you want to do, do what you feel like you should do. But never does society say deny yourself. Would one politician, just one, stand up and say, listen, our country, you know what we need to do? We need to stop living self-centered lives. Stop being babies. Start denying ourselves some things so that we can have something. We know nothing about denying ourselves. Yet we walk around, hey, I'm, I'm uh, so-and-so. It was said of a missionary, and I don't remember which missionary it was, someone asked him if he was a Christian. He said, why, yes, I'm a Christian. He says, but I'm very heartbroken that you had to ask me that I'm a Christian. Speaking of his own self. Where are the William Careys, the missionaries, the George Muellers who operated a, a, uh, an orphanage and never told anybody anything about a financial need, but on his face before God alone, he said, God, we've got to feed these kids, and I don't know, and I'm trusting you. And miraculously, a milk truck would break down in front of their orphanage, and all the milk was going to get bad, so they donated it to the orphanage. Coincidence? I think not. When have we denied ourselves anything that we might 
follow Jesus. But Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. See, you'll never follow Christ if you don't deny yourself. The second thing he says is take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, I spent so much time studying this phrase because it's a bizarre phrase. If anyone, he's talking about the one who desires. He's talking about the one then who has denied himself. And he's talking about the same one who will take up his own cross. Not the cross of Calvary, but his own cross. What did Jesus understand the cross to be? Jesus understood the cross to be complete surrender to the will of his Father. The disciples said, uh, Jesus, you, you need to eat. And he says, my meat or my food is to do the will of my heavenly Father. That was Jesus' response. It was a surrender to the will of God. When Jesus was in the garden, he was praying. And he was sweating great drops of blood. He was not in that agony over what men would do to him. Why? Because he told the disciples, don't fear what men can do to you and to your body. Fear the one who can do that to your body and take your soul. That's what he said. And so Jesus in the garden and his agony was that cup. What was the cup? The cup was the bitterness of the wrath of God. He had to bear all of his sin, all the sin of the world... Upon himself. Our only hope. And he completely surrendered to the will of God. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. But you have to do more than deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You have to surrender fully to the will of God. You'll never do anything in the will of God until you first surrendered it in your heart. I was joking with some guys and we were talking and we were joking and I said, could you imagine how many Christian schools we could start if we would have won that, somebody in our church would have run that two billion? They said, well, won't you just take up a love offering and the next time we'll take that love offering and buy a lottery ticket. I said, I don't think so. But anyways, um, we were joking about that. And we got on the subject of talking about giving. And I've noticed something in my life. If I won't give with what I have, I won't give with what God gives me. If I won't give with my little, and God is going to bless me and give me a great financial gain, what makes me think I'm going to give with that? You think it's hard to give out what you got now. Wait till you have all that money. And everybody and their brother wants that money. And sister too, amen. What I'm saying is is if you won't surrender to the will of God right now, you're not going to surrender to the will of God tomorrow. And the problem is in our churches today that many of us, I'm not throwing stones at you, I'm saying many times in my life, we talk about surrender, but we don't surrender. Because we haven't denied ourselves. There's a progression. You deny yourself. You're not going to surrender to the will of God until you deny yourself. When you deny yourself, then you surrender to the will of God. Okay, God, whatever you want me to do. What in the world would make... A man and woman sell everything they have, pack everything they have into a shipping container, and move all across the country, a world, and live in deplorable conditions to reach people with the gospel. I'll tell you what, they surrender to the will of God. And you ask them, they're as happy as they can be. 
I started to say June bug, but I don't know if June bug's happy. I just heard that before. Just listen to our terminology. I got to go to church Sunday. I got to get up early in the morning. Get up early. We start at 1030. My goodness. Um, I got to teach Sunday school. I got to teach Awana. I got I to do this. How, 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 our, our own phrasing, our own speech says that we're minding the things of men and not the things of God. What a privilege when you stand before God. Well, Lord, uh, you know, the Bengals were playing and I, you know, it was late and it was a good game. And I didn't want to leave and I know I was supposed to teach and <coughs> started getting that little cough in my throat. And really? And I don't, I know there's not a huge Bengal fan base here, so that's why I use the Bengals. But guys, listen to me. We know nothing about denial of self. We know nothing about taking up our own cross. Submitting your life fully to God. When's the last time you got up in the morning and prayed this and meant it? Sincerely, God, today's your day. Whatever you want is what I want. No matter what it costs me, no matter what pain comes my way, I want to do what you want me to do. You want to know what the sad thing is? In the early church, this was Christianity 101. Today in our church, you know what this is? This is extreme that people point to. Man, look at him, look at them. They're, they're extreme Christian, man. They do all this. For... No, that's Christianity 101. And we have, each generation, we get a little further away from God. As a society, I'm telling you, guys, listen, you watch all these elections, you watch all this stuff, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the United States is done spiritually. We have crossed a line that we cannot uncross. And those of you that know Jesus, you're going to be just fine. And if you don't know Jesus, I'd be scared to death. And you can get in all that gobbledygook of politics. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. You will not find, as best I study the scriptures, you will not find the United States of America as a nation, a superpower in prophecy. You won't. Jesus understood the cross to be full surrender to the will of God. Are you fully surrendered to the will of God? And then he says, follow me. Follow me. You know what the cure to minding the things of men is? Following Christ. What does it mean? It means to walk as he walked. When Jesus said, follow me, the, the disciples understood him that they would be with him. You know that Jesus wants you to be with him. If you just knew how much he loves you, and how much he wants to be with you. It would change our perspective altogether. It's about relationship. When Jesus called us to follow him, it means to be with him. 
why in the world would you want to spend eternity worshiping Him and being with Him throughout eternity if you don't want to be with Him right now? I don't understand it. You see, the devil and the flesh and everything battles you in your time daily of spending time with Him, quality time with Him. There's not enough hours in the day. Our, our mornings, our, our weeks are already planned. You know what you're going to do this week. You know, maybe we should start scheduling time with the Lord. I mean, I can't imagine scheduling time with someone you love. I mean, just, just do it every chance you get, right? How many of you, your kids do not live with you any longer? They're grown and on their own. How many of you that are grown and on your own, your kids don't live with you, you love it when your kids come around? Well, it's about half. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You do, don't you? Why? Because you love your kids. You love them. And the Father loves us. The Father loves us and He wants to be with us. And Jesus wants to be with us and the Holy Spirit wants to be with us. Secondly, to follow Him means to depend totally on the Father. To depend totally on the Father. Jesus never did anything without absolute dependence on the Father. And He's God. What makes it any different than us? For us, I should say. Depend on Him daily. Number three, it means to be obedient to his commands, to follow him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There is a desire to do what Jesus wants us to do. And I know it's getting harder in this society because all society is going against Christian principles. And I know that it's hard sometimes, and it means even people in our family that are wrong, and we have to stand for right, and we don't have to be jerks to stand for the truth. But we do have to be obedient to Christ. And His commands are not grievous. If we're going to follow Him, we have to be obedient to His commands. To follow Him means that we're characterized by faith and love. If you follow Jesus throughout the the, uh, Gospels, you will see that He was characterized by faith and love. Faith and love. And love, faith in the Father, love for everyone. And it means to be like Him, to be like Jesus. I love this phrase. Speaking of the disciples, they said that they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. Now, the disciples could be upset because they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they weren't. They were thrilled that they had taken note that they had been with Jesus. So I want to tell you three things quickly about following Christ. Number one, I must see my absolute need for Jesus Christ. You're saved You're on your way to heaven. You need Jesus Christ just as much today as you needed him when you came to faith in him. And every day and every moment in between, we need Jesus. The fact that Jesus would even love me blows my mind because I know me. 
I know the thoughts I have, the things I think, sometimes the goofy things I say. And I wonder why in the world would he love a sinner such as I am? The second thing I would say is that I must repent of my independence. See, it's really a pride issue. I must repent of my independence. You see, when I realize I need Jesus, and I start following Him, and I start being obedient to Him, and I start denying myself, I realize that prior to doing this, I've been in control of my life. And I don't know about you, but I sure have made a mess of things. Is anyone else with me? I sure have made a mess of things. And I have to repent of that independence from Christ. Now I want to do things the way Jesus wants me to do things. The world may not understand it. Shoot, half the church may not understand it. But it doesn't change the fact that right is right and wrong is wrong. And I want to follow Christ I have to repent of my independence. I'm no longer in control of my life. It's not, come on, Lord, bless this what I want to do. It's, I surrender to what you want me to do, Lord. It's your church, Lord. I'm your servant. This is your family. I'm not in control. The fact that I think I'm in control shows how out of control I am. And then I think... Number three, I must fully surrender to being what Christ wants me to be and going to where Christ wants me to go. When I say going to where he wants me to go is not necessarily a pilgrimage physically. I'm talking about spiritually. If you're not growing in your faith and love for Jesus Christ, you're sinning and I'm sorry to have to tell you that. But if I don't, I would be negligent. If you're not growing in your Christ-likeness, you're sinning. And if I'm not growing in my Christ-likeness, I am sinning. And church, we are looking at the externals and we're pointing to elections and we're taking the focus off what really matters us. It is me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need to surrender this self-governing aspect of my life to you. I need to crucify it on the cross of Calvary. And I need to let you be the Lord of my life. Where you lead, I will follow. I keep thinking of all these old songs that we used to sing we no longer sing anymore because we have to entertain people. And we're losing that spiritual element that they kept putting in our mind that Christ is leading and we're following and He's the Lord and we're the servants. I, I think it desperately needs to happen. You know, I love this. Peter finally gets it. After Jesus restores him and tells him he's going to die and he says, follow me, Peter gets it. From that point on, the Bible gives a different picture of Peter. He gives a picture of Peter... Following Christ. Going where Christ wanted him to go spiritually. Being 
who Christ wanted him to be. He's the same man that in front of all the people that he denied Christ stands 52 days later and says, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Jesus and Lord. He's the one that when it came his turn to die for his, his, call, his belief and his devotion to Christ, he would not be crucified in the same manner and he demanded to be crucified upside down. It wasn't until then that Peter truly desired to follow Jesus. What's your goal? You say, Pastor, listen, I've been saved for years and I've been doing this. Well, praise God, but this is not a union meeting. We're not going on seniority here. We're going on faith. We're going on faith. And you can be saved and for 20, 30, 40 years, and you can still be out of fellowship with the Lord. You can still be saved and neglect the Lordship of Christ in your life. Peter was. And my question is to you, what's it going to take to get our attention? Doesn't it make much more sense now to say, okay, God, I know that I want to follow you. And if I want to follow you, I know. I know you're giving me that desire, and I know that if I want to follow you, that I'm going to have to deny myself, I'm going to have to take up my cross, and I'm going to have to follow you. I'm willing to lay down all ownership of my life, to disown, divest myself from my own self-interest of myself, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. People ask a question all the time. If, <clears throat> if someone were to hold a gun to your head and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Knowing that if you said yes, they'd pull the trigger. And you'd say, yes, I'd die for him. You know, the funny thing is, Jesus asks us to live Amen. for him. See, if you're a believer in Christ, you already died with him on the cross of Calvary. The crucifixion has already taken place. The question is, are you going to resurrect and live a life pleasing to the Lord? Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I don't know your heart. I don't know if you're saved or not. You know, I don't. That's between you and the Lord. I can tell you this based on the scripture. If you come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're sincere, you're saved. Because it's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. If you've not done that yet, you're not saved. If you are saved, but you're not in fellowship with the Lord, you let the things of man, do you realize that Jesus said that is an offense to me? If you're minding the things of men more than you are the things of God, do you not realize that is an offense to God? Today, why don't you confess it to the Lord and repent? See, confession is agreeing with God. I agree it's wrong. I confess it. I'm naming it. It's not a general forgive me of all my sins. I'm naming that specific sin. And repentance is turning from it. Changing my mind that affects my heart and my life. 
See, a lot of people confess and they go back and do the same thing because they never repent. Repentance is not just when you get saved. Repentance is every life, every day of every believer. When God brings something in your life that's not right, you turn from that and turn to God. That is repentance. Would you do business with Him? Heavenly Father, bless this invitation.